Hi, my name is Tucson. Okay, we are at an Alcoholics Anonymous <laughs> meeting. Fantastic. Um, I think if it was an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, anonymous. I would have... Anonymous. Hi, Anonymous. anonymous. My name is Tucson. Anonymous. Well, we've just turned alcohol... Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous into a Baby wants to fuck! Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the 2014 sci-fi film, which is Predestination. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there, everybody, and welcome in to episode 152 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with Nick Cheney and Toussaint Egan. My name is Nick. Mm-hmm. Hi. My name is Toussaint. Okay, we are at an Alcoholics Anonymous <laughs> meeting. Fantastic. Um, I think if it was an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, anonymous. I would have... Hi. Anonymous. anonymous. My name's Tucson. Anonymous. Well, we've just turned alcohol... Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous into a We're going to have fun this episode. Can we just put out... We don't normally do this, but a spoiler warning... And say this is one of those one percent films that even I would say you could have spoiled for you. I co-sign this. Like, go if you haven't watched it. We all let's really quickly just say if we would recommend this movie, yes or no. Yes, I recommend this film. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We all recommend this film. <laughs> if you are, if you haven't seen this film before, uh, shut this off and then go rent it and then come back to this. Yeah, because it'll be a lot of fun, and it would really make no sense. Yeah, I mean, it would just be. Yeah, yeah. You you so. you'd hear the our probably initial thoughts and be like, "That's stupid." Yeah, yeah. you'd be like, "Oh, go fuck yourself." It's like having somebody explain source code to you, and you think it's the dumbest shit ever, and then you actually watch it, and you're like, "Wow, that's actually a good film." Yeah. So we're not talking about source code. No, we're not. No. Also, we're not talking about Howl's Moving Castle because we were going to do an episode on it this week, but we decided to table that episode to the following week. Because everybody was uh, really wanting to watch Predestination instead. So Woo-hoo. there you go. We'll do that next week, though. And this isn't going to be one of those things where we don't do it forever. <laughs> like, we're actually going to do it We're going to do it next week, yes. <laughs> yes. So, uh, Predestination is a film that came out in 2014. I actually got this film recommended to me by a Aurora uh, classmate of ours who wasn't really into film. So it was really random that he recommended it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never saw it then, and yeah. I, the first time I saw it was today before uh, our episode. Nick had seen it um, before I did, because he showed it to me. Yeah, I saw it when it came out, yeah. and I enjoyed it then. Yeah. The film, Predestination, follows uh, a man named the Barkeep, 
as for his final assignment, he must pursue the one criminal that has eluded him throughout time. The chase turns into a unique, surprising, and mind-bending exploration of love, fate, identity, and time travel taboos. I think it's sort of important to add on to that description because it doesn't actually describe what the barkeep is. The barkeep is a... is a, Kind is, of pretty much how a synopsis for a movie like this should be, which is in 10 minutes of watching it, you realize a synopsis doesn't matter. Yeah. And, but yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, the really- barkeep is a time cop. Sort of. Well, yeah, but you're not supposed to know that. I mean, Going you can in. guess that, but... Yeah. You're not supposed to have that confirmed. So, um, there are three main actors in this film, which are Ethan Hawke, Sarah Snook, and Noah Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of them have different levels of importance. But really, this film is basically just Ethan Hawke and Sarah Snook playing off of each other. <laughs> uh, the film was written and directed by uh, the... Spirit? Spearig Brothers, who recently would be known as they uh, directed Jigsaw Hell last yeah. year. Oh, yeah. And they also directed Winchester this year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was a huge bomb. Just moving yeah. from little strength to... No, they're they're going backwards. We can They're say going that. backwards. <laughs> so Strength to atrophy. Yeah. So, um, I feel like I probably am the freshest on this film, so maybe I should go last, or should I go first? I, 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 I don't know. I think yeah, like I think you should go first. Really? I, I really oh. want to hear what okay. your initial... Do you want to go first? I can go first. Yeah. I, I don't mind going first, but okay. I may Because have... if you wanted someone to lay down the foundation... Oh, no, no that's, okay. that's, that's fine. Yeah. So I'll just give my initial thoughts. Yeah. Um, I quite enjoyed this film. Um, I feel like... The last 15 minutes of this film, for me, unfortunately, gets a little too caught up in everything. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I would change anything about it. Um, I mean, can you? No. Because, I mean, isn't it inevitable? I mean, yeah. <laughs> you should I wish... just see the look on Nick's face. I wish we... <laughs> Like this excited chick moment that's like, huh? <laughs> Um, I, I feel like the the problem is is that the best parts of this film were for me were when I have no idea what was really going on. And you're sort were, of just pissing together. Yeah, I mean, it. Um, I really enjoyed the first half and the entire scene that takes place in the bar uh, when we're learning about Sarah Snook's character's background. Um, I thought was wildly entertaining. Um, and I had my my theories about who was who and who was in this film and who was playing that. Um, And although I feel like my theories were actually right, they were also wrong at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what my favorite thing about this script as a time travel, uh, I would say attempt, because we have certainly a lot in this genre, Mm -hmm. um, is the fact that I feel like nobody will get this 100% right Mm -hmm. because – the viewer will lean into the cliche that they already know. They just won't realize that the scope is bigger than they oh, yeah. can think. It's not perceive. a it's not a matter of predicting what will happen. Like you can predict what will happen, but how it happens invariably changes the what. Well, so even even if you do get it, like there's something adjacent to it that you're just not. And the idea that Jane slash John are pretty much every person in the film. Um, Every prominent character. Yeah, except for... Robertson. Yeah, except for Robertson's character. Right. 
Um, or. Oh. Yeah, I read some internet forums. Good. Jesus Christ. That's the best place to go for amazing content. <laughs> Speaking of internet forums, this is totally um, off the map. But uh, I've been seeing a lot of things popping up on Facebook about all the things that you missed in Infinity War. And I've read a couple of them, and they are horribly stupid. I think some people... well, Either, either, either people like don't understand how to watch films, or... Because it's like, well... This moment, we see Thanos's children. There they are, and I'm like, "Yep." <laughs> I think that's sort of a symptom of the here the, the post credit scene you may have missed the the content farm sort of ecosystem of of modern like pop culture writing, yeah. and I fucking hate that. As yeah. somebody as somebody who's written adjacent to that, I, I have no interest in doing but that in the, shit at all. In the clickbait. Um, Facebook fake news time period we live in where Infinity War is extremely popular right now. So you put out anything that says, here's why Thanos is actually right. Writing something like that would be so fucking painful for me. Like, I feel like I would have to inflict brain damage on myself in order to justify, like, doing that. None of those pieces uh, have any content, really. Exactly. I'm just like, why am I even fucking committing to this word count if I'm not even saying anything? I'm literally just recapping shit right. from the film that you saw and yes. knew. Yes. And not really, it's not like somebody's found some great Easter egg and they're like, Thanos is actually Iron Man. It's all, <laughs> it's all. <laughs> Thanos is people. <laughs> Nick's, Nick's face right now is just amazing. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. That's a good one. I don't know if I can wipe that away. It's great. <laughs> there he is. Oh. I don't feel so good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. You just made fun of Spider-Man. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, at any rate, um, I, for the most part, enjoyed Predestination. I thought it was a interesting, uh, well-done film that I feel like had really strong moments and some moments that were just okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I feel like is really hard for any good sci-fi film because even the best of premises can sometimes fall into not going too far, but being like the commitment to it can be a double-edged sword, so yeah, to speak. At least that, that'd be my trying opinion to do it, it justice will also mean running it to the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, which which this basically does, which. Um, some of the best films ever have done and even if um i don't necessarily like it i mean that's just the way it had to go like not necessarily comparing i mean it's kind of comparable not really but um film that a lot of people feel is one of the greatest films of all time uh mulholland drive goes in a very different direction in the end of it um and it is somewhat tedious at the at the last 30 to 40 minutes i would say hmm Whoa! What? Don't come for don't come for the Mulholland. Last Thirty minutes. <laughs> That's like Nick's of Mulholland Drive mm-hmm. is the. He's literally at a loss of words. Like he's still stuck up on the Iron Man Thanos thing. Silencio. We did not come here for that discussion. We will have that discussion some other day. Some someday. Someday in the future, yeah. I've still only seen it the one time. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're gonna have yeah, we'll 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 table, we'll table this for another time. Yeah, continue. So, uh, I thought the uh, idea of uh, it being the same person basically in every single aspect. Uh, I loved a lot of the the small nuances, like finding out that she was the baby and she was the one who was going in at the beginning. She was also the terrorist and. Uh, she is both the father and the mother. That, yeah, boy, that's, you know what, I'm good with it. Yeah. You know what, it's fine. We're in the age where fish fucking's cool, and I'm, I'm not against, <laughs> I'm not against, because you know what? Yeah. I told Toussaint before I sat him down and watched this with him, mm-hmm. that before we watched it, I said, one of the reasons that I love this movie is because it finally does the one thing I've always wanted a time travel movie to do, which... But he did not tell me what that thing was right, until after. Right, I didn't say we... what it was until after. But for me, it's that I saw so many time travel movies, and even the most famous one of all, Back to the Future, flirt with the idea that inappropriate fucking can happen. <laughs> but this is the one that finally did it oh, and did the like most the primordial one it could possibly do. I mean, you are you are both... He, I mean, he's uh, his own grandpa. <laughs> you know what? The you know what? Uh, I think probably now looking back in retrospect, and I'll, and I'll pass it on. But yeah. for the most part, I feel like I very much enjoyed this, and obviously want to see it again. Um, the one of the most apt comments uh, that could be made in any film, I think, is uh, Ethan Hawke just kind of randomly saying what came first, the chicken or the egg, mm-hmm. uh, and I just find that fascinating because yeah. you could you could literally spend a, your whole evening just being like, well, wait a minute. And that's a stupid thing a bartender would say. you know. Just But it fits, obviously, perfectly right into this and, film. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so, yeah, I'm a fan. Um, I have I have some more thoughts, although I haven't really collected them very well, but uh, this is a really good film that, just like other science fiction films that I don't know if I would have really given a chance but ended up really liking like another earth um you know this is definitely worth worth the time so moving on to one of you guys you uh, go? you go i'll go yeah yeah i watched this when it originally came out and certainly enjoyed it it did so many things that i loved like single setting with the whole first half really taking place in that bar mm-hmm. with the narrative being told uh, in its own realm so to speak mm-hmm. um with, of course, time travel paradox, you know, like, all of this is extremely my shit. Uh, so, like, just on surface pleasures alone, after my first viewing, I was kind of conflicted because I basically, the first time I saw it, I was exactly where you were out, which was like, I, I really thought that that was pretty good. Like, I was kind of underwhelmed by how good I thought it was and yet how great I didn't think it was. Um, and so it took me... Th- four years to rewatch it like i bought it almost instantly because i found it for five bucks whatever Mm -hmm. but then every time i ever thought about rewatching it i was basically afraid that i would like it it less and less anytime whatever Mm -hmm. so randomly when toussaint was over i gave him a stack of movies to watch and that was in it Mm -hmm. and then he decided to watch that instead of bat pussy which i thought we were gonna watch um for those who don't know bat pussy is Maybe the first uh, superhero triple X parody. Um, I was tempted. It was it was really neck and neck between uh, Predestination and was, Bat Pussy. Yeah, it was, but it was unearthed uh, by the uh, America Genre Film Archive. Yeah, uh, 
who are doing the Lord's work right now. But the reason... And let me tell you, you haven't seen a stranger movie than Bat Pussy, which is the only porno I've ever seen where the guy can never get it up, and they have to shoot around that. Um, <laughs> but I, the reason why I did choose Predestination is because... Yeah, why you, didn't you choose Bat Pussy? Well, I chose Predestination because you had actually recommended to me... Yes. Years before, I think it was when, something like at that point I couldn't believe you hadn't. Set when down. we were actually like, it might have been right before we graduated or right after we graduated. And I always meant to go see it because you know I am a fan of time travel films. I like Looper. I like Back to the Future. I like things that are adjacent to that. And it was just like, oh wow, this is the perfect opportunity to watch it. So yep. just like, yeah, we'll we'll circle back to that that film that we... that. Film. Oh, we will one day. Yeah, we will. Um, we'll close that loop. So me and uh, Tucson watched it about a week ago together, and I was kind of astounded that I actually liked it better. And mm-hmm. I thought that it somehow all clicked even more. Not because the first time I watched it I was so confused or anything like that, mm-hmm. because the movie definitely, which I actually think is one of its strengths, it makes a very confusing arc seem a lot more straightforward I think than it, I mean through editing and through like I was I'm kind of astounded that it builds on on repeat viewings like I, I like just what Nick said is like we just watched it maybe like a week ago maybe a little more yeah. than a week ago and I was still enjoying it even having known like what was going to happen so it's watching the pieces sort of fall into place where you see like how how tight the story is. And you don't realize until you rewatch it that the predestination factor mm-hmm. and knowing what will happen only enhances the central theme and uh, weariness of this journey that the right. character takes. As yeah. you see it unfold the same way the barkeep is essentially seeing it unfold. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's, there's certainly so many layers and whatnot. Um yeah, I think this movie is fantastic. I think the production design is really good. I think that's why I was excited for Jigsaw, because I thought the Spirit Brothers have an extremely wonderful eye for their genre cinema, uh, because they don't just settle for... Like, they don't go overboard or outlandish, but every frame and nook and cranny of these sets, like the bar, is just filled with so much vitality and color and whatnot. Then um, it never becomes garish, but it's always a treat to look at. I think that's a reason why, and I mean, obviously, somewhat of the content, especially the first half, made me feel this way. But I feel like the fact that this set does feel full... Uh, yeah which is something you're alluding to, Nick, definitely reminds me a lot of Gattaca. Um, yeah. yeah. And Ethan Hawke being like, in it obviously makes that even easier to, to make that connection. Especially the back end of the temporal agency. Looks yeah. looks very clean, very sterile in sort of a space age way. But it's just, a, a you know, the comparison, at least for me, between this film and that one, of it, of it being this sort of weird... Um, experience at least the first time you sit down and watch it where you really you know what's going on but you don't know where it's leading necessarily yeah. which it's I almost can... like you can't trust it yeah and then you realize you should have trusted it the entire time because it was technically spelled out for you yeah thing. yeah mm-hmm. no for sure um and just as far as rewatch factor goes um it should annoy me but it really doesn't because the ridiculously unsubtle foreshadowing works so beautifully because I do think a first-time viewer will not catch the chicken or the egg meeting, you know, until the end. Alongside 
dozens of quotes from him looking in the mirror saying my own mother won't, wouldn't recognize me to uh, her saying son of a bitch and him saying son of a bitch that's funny uh and on and on and on like there are so many lines like that which are so organic to the conversations that are taking place but are also there to make anybody who's in the barkeep situation which in this case is the viewer uh, especially upon a rewatch uh just get uncomfortably aware of this predestination paradox, which is that this is so writerly that, in my opinion, that only strengthens it because that's exactly what Robertson and him are agreeing to do, which mm. is to doctor this entire thing um, to make it happen the exact way they want it to. Um, yeah. So that's why even like the exposition never really bothers me, uh, even if I could see how it would for somebody else. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, I'll say one other thing, which is that in the first half, when she tells this, her basically her entire life story up until that point, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of amazing to me that that whole uh, push and pull between the bar scene and the actual evolving story never feels too exposition-y. Like, I think the exposition mostly comes at the very end when they have to wrap it up. Mm-hmm. But there, like, you're never actually too many degrees removed away from the emotional character work that's happening while she's explaining what's happening. So yeah. it works twofold, obviously, to let the audience know. It's really just set up for the audience, but it's also never not involving as a character drama. So um, that's just kind of how you write a story 101. So uh, overall, I have like a lot more thoughts too, but I'll pass it to you and just say that I think this is just a great movie. And um, it is one of my favorite kind of sci-fi movies, not just because it's about time travel paradox but also because it's what i would call like a genre exercise mm-hmm. which is it is just pushing to the max a one singular concept and trying to see if it can fill all the holes on the boat so it doesn't drown before yeah. the end credits roll and i think it succeeds at that yeah it really quick before toussaint uh, jumps in with his initial thoughts I did kind of jokingly mention the Cloverfield Paradox before we started the episode, but it is interesting watching that film and then watching this film and seeing the difference in competence. Uh, Yeah. It's pretty That is like, if this is a genre (laughs) exercise, that is a genre. Oh, I'm at the food court at the mall, and oh my God, there's Taco Bell. Oh, wait a second. KFC and Taco Bell. And just never-ending gluttony of yeah. no ideas and no original thought. Yeah, anyway. just consumption. Whatever idea comes next yeah. to their mind with no plausible and through line. And then getting lines. kicked out of the food court because you accidentally pulled down your pants and wouldn't stop <laughs> masturbating into your McDonald's McRib sandwich. You're like, but it only comes once a year. <laughs> it only comes once a year. Yeah, because of the penis. Oh, my God. Okay. Guys, where was I the last 10 seconds? I don't know. I feel like I blacked out. That was amazing. You're a bad pussy. Oh, we... That must have been... Great movie. That must... (laughs) Okay. Can I say really quickly... Also, get enough for a McRib. Can I really say... Bat pussy, uh, she doesn't. You're really drive. No, 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 no. You need to know this. Bat pussy does not have a Batmobile. Bat pussy. Do you know how bat pussy gets around? A pussy wagon in in Gotham City. Although I think it's called something else. Anyway, um, she rides a hippity hop, which is one of those. In case you don't know it by name, it's a pogo stick. 
Nope. It is one of those, like, the big ball with the little handle that you uh, jump up and down. Oh. Wow. Yep. And there's an actual scene of her on a real freeway oh. making her way downtown. Wow. Face is bad. my way downtown. Yep, that was what I was Sorry. Um, okay, so. <laughs> Literally word for word. Okay, winding that back to, to Predestination. So. I love this movie. I think it's a really good movie. I, I just having it seen it twice now for the second seen it for the second time, I can confidently say that. I I'm, I'm just I think one of the strengths of this film is that in it being a a film about temporal like temp, temporal like um temporal shrimp. No, temporal um sort of circularity or something like that. It's like it's 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 very circular. It's like it's very circular temporal like action like mystery sort of thriller right i think with a film like this it's it kind of begs the question of like you could start you could start the beginning of this film anywhere you could start the story anywhere and it would still pretty much end up in the same place roughly right and i'm just like and what's fascinating to me is that for all of the the unconventionalness of this story it starts with what is arguably the most conventional beginning of any story, which is a guy walks into a bar. I think, I think that's yeah. ingenious. I, I love that. And, and what you're talking about with it, this being sort of a, a genre exercise of just like taking this one store, this one idea and just extrapolating it in as many directions as possible while also keeping them as, as tight and concise together. Like that is essentially the format of what a short story is. And this story is actually based on a Robert A. Helen uh, short story who is for his time one of the the greatest science fiction authors from the west like he's he's done all you zombies which is what this this film is based off of he's done starship troopers he's done uh stranger in a strange land which i noticed that um that callback um of the the novel on john's desk while he's typing the first time i saw it like i i recognized it but it did not hit me as to like the, yeah. the the connection between predestination. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. This is like that's probably the Easter egg of that film, and I thought it was just perfect. I really yeah. enjoyed that. Um, all of the performances in this are great. I love Ethan Hawke in this. Um, what's her name? Sarah Snook. Sarah Snook was awesome. I've never seen her before. In another she, film, I can't believe she's not getting at least something yeah. after this. Like I know she wouldn't just go straight to a blockbuster, mm -hmm. but. This is not like a low-profile film. It was a pretty decent import from Australia right. um, at the time. So anyway, yeah. it's it's just a very it's just a very well done film from both its production design, from its pacing, and one one of the things I I wanted to comment on for Alex's impressions, where the last fifteen minutes sort of like fell flat. I think that's due to because after I saw this for the first time, I went back home and I read what the synopsis was and the adaptation of the original like short story was right. And the one thing that is the defining characteristic of this, um, of, of, of this iteration is that everything in the film is pretty much verbatim point for point, the same as Robert A. Helen's like short story, except for the addition of the fizzle bomber, which is just sort of like a, a contrivance of like a, a post nine eleven sort of like terrorist like men mentality and stuff like that. It was just something that was sort of tacked on. So that might be where some of the weaknesses of this film sort of fray because it's sort of a a, 
a, a contrivance of the original of, of the directors rather than of the actual source material. Could be. So, I remember reading that when I first saw it back in 2014. Yeah. And so you saying that was jogging my memory because I remember reading that, but I didn't do enough research or read the short story for myself mm -hmm. because then I'm still confused as to what is the end point the for end, the original short story. The end point is him ending up at the end of his line, his uh, thing decommissions, yeah. and he realizes that he is alone in the world, functionally alone, so it's more it ends on a more... more it's more of an existential note, okay. and the last line is, I know who I am, but I don't know who oh, all you zombies are. Okay. Oh, right. All right. And obviously, I would be all on board for an adaptation that adhere to that. Mm -hmm. But I also think I'm fine with this. Yeah, like I think that even if it's not a hundred percent perfect, it works a lot better mm -hmm. than it has any right to. Considering the fact that I, like you, I had to read the fact that like I couldn't quite like even, discern. If you where have to it's... squint to see how tacked on it is, yeah. then I think it does at least a serviceable job. It works and it's plausible instigate. within this iteration. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's a really well done film. I, I I really do enjoy it, and I highly recommend it. It's like comparing it to comparing it to like Looper. When Looper came out, I really did enjoy that film. Yeah. But as time has gone on, it's not huh. it's not so much ha 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 time after time. Um. So since since time has gone on, and I've and I've. Oh. Return to that film. Yes, I get it. Yeah, I've returned to that film multiple times. <laughs> Shut the fuck up! <laughs> um, <laughs> Time out. I, I'm sorry, try again. I realized that <laughs> what I enjoy about Looper is not so much the... Time travel part. The temporal, like, speculative story that's part of that. Just kind of it's more of sort of the the peripheral details of the world building of that. It's like going to Old Country Buffet. None of these things are done right, but the fact that I get to eat all this shit at the same time is kind of fun. Yeah, that's actually really on point for a looper. Yeah, yeah I mean it's just it's just consistent. It has it has uh, they're all little interesting little things about it, you know. But it's like none of them are. It wants are, to be a futuristic noir, and it also. Wants to be a temporal mystery. Whereas this is a, a like actually all of those things. Predestination is all those things, but it's just better at it. Am it's I just... the only person uh, with Looper that thought that Joseph Gordon-Levitt looked nothing like Bruce Willis? Um, I mean, I... They use computer trickery to change his face digitally to make him look like Bruce Willis. I'm I'm of I the think opinion that was I, bad at their job. I'm, I'm of the <laughs> opinion that. His his prosthetic makeup in Looper never was obstructive for me for like watching the film. Like I I just didn't care. Not being like I I, I, re I recognized it was him, and I recognized it was supposed to look like that other character as Bruce Willis. It looked so more, I didn't care. It looked more like a it looked he looked more like Mickey Rourke after his, like his second surgery. So yeah, I think there's something to be said about relying less on CGI or prosthetics mm -hmm. and doing something more like this where you have Ethan Hawke and you have Sarah Snook and I will say the male version of John before burned uh, with, you know, whatnot, where okay. it's Sarah Snook playing him. Um, what I liked about this is that the film never really tries to convince you that they look super similar, but once they start getting closer, essentially once Sarah Snook and the barkeep are kind of running around, mm -hmm. so to speak, um, 
I I was having at least some echoes where I'm like, oh, you know, I've, like the way he does his hair is almost reminiscent of a slightly more whatever version of uh, a slightly more, you know, I don't know. Masculine. Uh, I was going to say freewheeling version of, you know, uh, John the character. Mm-hmm. And I started to get these weird similarities. And right. Whatnot. And I feel like that's not necessarily because it's just putting the strength in the actors and the script to just convince you of what you are seeing like a magic trick. You if, know? There, if there are any weaknesses in this film, I think that um, one thing that I remember from my initial viewing is that, you know, I it finally clicked to me what was the relationship between uh, Jane and John after the fact when they actually meet well, they're the same person. No, when they actually meet each other on, Sorry, on the, the, the school campus. Right. But right. the relationship of Ethan Hawke's character to was, was already sort of telegraphed in the scene where he, he does an illegal jump in order to stop the fizzle bomber. And you see the actual face of the person who was burned. And I'm just like, I right when you when you when you're when not you, allowed to see the face, you, so therefore it probably you sh- you shouldn't like they thought that the face was invariably burned so that it wouldn't like show like who that person actually was or what they looked like before then. I'm just like it's a little obvious at this point. Like when you show what they look like, I just well, saw their face before. It was like supposed to be obvious, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say I feel like they're they did a, such a good job at. Making sure, but it was I re- think the revealed pursuit... to the audience before it was actually revealed to the character themselves. Well, I think there's well, enough there for you to gather it. For me, right. the pursuit of trying to figure out Ethan Hawke's relationship to Sarah Snook's character mm-hmm. blinds the viewer in understanding the true reveal, which is that there is a more there's another knot <laughs> before you get to that. Which, one. which yeah. uh, I was just going to say something similar, where that is basically playing the role of the magician's assistant at that point to let the audience in on something that is going to yes. make them feel like they figured it out when actually they're just looking in the wrong place. I mean, <laughs> all the cryptic, you know, tape recordings and the what if I could put the guy in front of you, you know, like all that does is tease you that you're going to at some point get a big connection. So you're trying to draw the line between dot A and dot B, but you don't realize that dot A and dot B are not only the same dot, but also there's a dot A.5 or whatever happens in the letter letter land. Yeah. Uh, Well, um, (laughs) in the the letter land. I do like a lot of small similarities between different parts of this film, which I think uh, really is a huge strength of predestination. Um, I just love the idea of when John is talking with Jane back in whatever year it's supposed to be. 1963-ish. Yes, at the Cleveland College. Um, First of all, that's a good scene. And to um, pretty much knowing all of the answers is, is something that we're able to easily tease out. But on the first viewing, um, Basically, the same thing is happening between the barkeep and John in the opening scene. Yep. As obviously he knows a that he would be at this bar. All pretty much he knows entire... how to react. Mm-hmm. Get him to continue talking mm-hmm. because he did it once before. Right. Yep. So yeah, it's all just playing the same beats over and over again. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's predetermined. I do really, I do really appreciate to the depth that this film was willing to go to hammer home the fact that 
was all really the same person the entire time, which is very interesting to me, not necessarily because of it being a science fiction film, but more because of it just being just any film really that it, it gives this any reveal away, you know, always there is the one armed man or, or some person that is at the end of, of the road, but literally you can never get that here because it's always the same person yeah. from yeah. start to finish. So there's never like, it's never will, it will never be overly satisfying that there's like a, Oh my God, I just figured it out. But at the same time, it will always be, Oh, that does make sense. But how did they, Oh, it's and even staking in its own tail. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, and there's plenty that's right there for you too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oh man, <sighs> I I gotta say, especially now looking back on it, when uh, John is describing, well, I just found out I'm not shoot blanks. Well, welcome to the club. <laughs> um, yeah. Boy, that is weird. Yeah, that's, that's pretty great too. Uh, once you know, <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, It'd be boy. great if on accident it was like, I just found out I'm shooting blanks. Yeah, I know. Uh, what? 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 What did you just say? I didn't say anything. <laughs> is, it, is it incest if you're the same person? <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. No. Uh, <laughs> thank you for clearing that up. I do it every night. Um, <laughs> what, I, what I was going to say, too, the, the other reason why I also like the inclusion of the fizzle bomber is because I think thematically that puts the viewers in... Uh, John's shoes, which mm-hmm. is you're so focused on the end point mm-hmm. that you you don't stop to try to piece together how everything you're doing is blinding you to. Like, I don't know. I just think there's something there as far as the viewer pursuing uh, information and trying to in, think of this as a straight line. We're in the same When in reality, the fizzle bomber is really not that important. Right. And it just happens to be at the end of the timeline, yeah. which is not actually the end, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about one thing here, which is okay. I I said earlier that I think that the Spear Brothers uh, have a great eye for detail and whatnot. There is a shot in this movie that took me three times to notice. So in this time, I noticed something that is so fucking amazing that I almost squealed out loud when I saw it this time. Because it just looked great, but also what it means in the context of this movie is fantastic. So there's a moment when uh, the barkeep and uh, John have moved from the bar to a table and are sitting down at the booth. It's actually the I'm shooting blank scene. Mm-hmm. But the way that scene opens is it opens on a close-up of the barkeep lighting his cigarette. And the way that that's shot is you don't see that he has two cigarettes there until he, because he's lighting both of them, until he pushes that cigarette into view, past his own cigarette, and gives that one to John, mm-hmm. which shows that where there is one, there is actually two, and yet actually it's the other way around, and so on and so forth. Oh, uh, that's I just, a really... And it's a shared thing between the two of them. Yeah, that's a really um, dense and subtle... Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. it literally looks like nothing other than a cute little close-up shot, like, whatever, but it, it has... It's all connected. Yeah, it has a lot more uh, uh, implications. Yeah. So I have an interesting question, Yeah, and I think this will be... I don't know. So well, hit me, uh-huh. hit me. So when uh, John is being given the gun uh, by the barkeep, mm-hmm. and he basically says, "You're going to arrive, and you'll have to decide." 
Do you think he's telling him about the scene when he's going to meet, like, crazed Doc Brown John years later, that you're going to eventually make it there and you're going to have to decide what to do? No? No, I don't think it is. I think it's just the decision of... What do you mean? You're going... You're going to have to make a choice. You know, like he's saying, it's like when the barkeep brings John to the time period where he, right, right, right. Where he says, like, I can put him right in front of you, the person yeah. who made all of your whatever. Which, which I'm saying, it's like a long game because he's not going to see him until however long. But no, I no, no, I, no, no, I don't think that, no? that the, bar, the barkeep did not know. manipulating events. John, leading him by that promise just to put him in that spot because yeah. he knows as long as he's there, everything else will fall in line until he has to return. It, so I think it's more of just a con game, so okay. to speak. I, I think that it, there's there's a reason to believe that there's like an ironic... It, it, it's ironic that he would, he would use that lie in order to coax himself into yes. sort of like jump-starting, like bootstrapping his own conception, but like it does work, perhaps just not intentionally yeah, on part yeah. of the actual character. Also, he's also only barely lying because he is putting the person in front of him, which yeah. is technically himself, yeah. in this case, herself. Yeah. Not literally, but I'm just saying it's another fun little uh, entanglement. You always have a choice. You always have a choice. So What he doesn't realize is that... Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, yeah. him saying that to John is that he's the ultimate mark that that line works on. Because it's him who fails to not pull the trigger because he knows that he will do that because he tried it on himself younger and so on and so forth. Yeah. But I think in that moment, he was just literally trying to get him to Queens College. Can so, we talk? Oh, sorry. Um, you go first. You go okay. First. Okay. So it's really not consequential to the film, but I'm just interested what your thoughts are on... How this whole mess got started. There is no starting point. Okay. There's, there, it's literally, I, I don't know how this can. Well. Well. Nick, why don't you go at it? I think. Okay. That this thing did get started. Okay. And the, the way it worked is that Robertson and his bureau came up with plans for temporal agents. And then Robertson was like, but. Temporal agents aren't really going to work because how can you they have change thing whatever? And it was Robertson who came up with this idea of essentially creating this pattern. So I believe he essentially held the Space Corps audition looking for somebody with no past and no whatever. I think he would have did whatever it took. So, like, even if he found just a random girl with no boy parts, maybe he would have surgically opened her up and put whatever. But then that became the thing that falls in his lap, which I know, explaining that also then you just say, well, how did it start the first time, though? And that's a time travel paradox. Like yeah. it, it, you literally cannot explain that. But if you're looking for a guess as to how this would have happened in-universe... Robertson has some role that is not entirely elaborated on in the context of the film. Like, he re- he realized what he had in front of him, and he encouraged, if not, like, directly influenced events to he, end he, up the way they did. 
playing off the passions of the person he's oh, speaking yeah. to. Yeah. Because he very well knows that there is no fizzle bomber, so to speak. There mm-hmm. is. But when he talks about it, like, it's very interesting. Yeah, because like, then yeah. he's trying to get him all ready to have the seeds of, like, you know, not doubt, but yeah. that humans are complex. And Which whatnot. is just really insidious, given that. Like their whole job is so, like he talks about how the fizzle bomber has made that agency better than it has ever been, yeah. and I'm just like, but you're essentially just like cultivating the ultimate terrorist now. Yeah. Now, can I say one thing that I read on the internet that I actually think it's interesting to think about? Mm-hmm. Not so much that I think that it like oh this is the theory I've subscribed to, yeah. but is one thing that doesn't sound crazy, which is that, um. The Bureau doesn't exist in the way that we think it does. The Bureau is actually, or not the Bureau, but um, at one point they say that John is agent number 11. Mm -hmm. And some people have taken that to mean because we don't see any other agent in this, that they are all Johns. And so he's the 11th iteration of this, and it just keeps going on, and they're keeping them separate from each other. And that there's no real Bureau, this is just Robertson's pet project to allow this to happen, and um, he's the only version of an agent, so to speak. I like that. That sounds really Which I think is cool. kind of interesting. Yeah, it sounds cool. But anyway. Yeah, that's getting into, it's getting into like, primer territory. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it is. Definitely. Um, Which I know you are a oh, big old fan of. This foam I'm a big old fan. falls somewhere between the, um, on the, on, on the, the timeline between, ha, <laughs> Between Looper, it's not on funny one, when you do it. Looper on one far end and Primer on the other far end. From that, it's like I think like it's right in the middle, but it leans a little bit towards Primer territory. Oh yeah, yeah, um, for sure. I uh, one other thing I'll say about this movie is that I love that uh, they dug up the old country novelty song "I'm My Own Grandpa." Uh, <laughs> It's a real song, like. Yeah. Oh, that is uh that that is. The song itself is about a legal situation that just gets very twisted, like mm-hmm. who marries who type thing. Um, but of course, the fact that that's playing on the jukebox, I also very much love that John, the Ethan Hawke version, after pushing all the dominoes before decommissioning, uses an illegal jump. To go back to the bar to get the bottle he won like 10 years ago. <laughs> because technically, if hmm. Sarah Snook won it, it means he won it too. Yeah. But that's when he decided to claim it, was to go back at that moment and bring it with him. Which I thought is just a really nice detail. Yeah. No, that's that's pretty good. Yeah. So. How do you guys feel about the final confrontation between John and the Fizzle Bomber in the laundromat? I like it more every time I see it. I yeah. kind of remember the first time I saw it where I thought that that was not a bad scene by any means. But, like, after getting all those reveals, I guess I was waiting for something more. And now, of course, I watch it. And I'm like, well, just because they revealed the most unexpected thing in the middle mm-hmm. doesn't mean that that's a failure of the ending. And technically, if this is a loop, so to speak, then the movie has to be structured like a parabola. Yeah. So we do have to go upwards to a peak bef- and then continue around the other way. Um, and even though the movie, we only see like a parabola half of it because technically to see the other half would just show you the exact same thing again, right. so to speak. Um, for me, it just makes perfect sense. I think 
They, I, and I also think the psychosis thing, they actually do embed pretty well. I mean, it's mm-hmm. very early on when you see them already doing psych tests on younger John, mm-hmm. and it's already saying uh, you keep on making onset dimension right. and on his clipboard. Um, and the fact that J- uh, John talks about her childhood mm-hmm. as being one filled with depression and whatnot. So... Um, that's another thing really quick I really liked, which is that Jane's whole story is a really good little short story about depression and self-love. Mm-hmm. Uh, when John is finally in front of her and says, somebody should have told you that, you know, that mm-hmm. you're really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because he refused to look in the mirror for so long. And it's different to look in the mirror than it is to truly see yourself. Right. And so for that to be a kind of a light bulb moment that there's really nothing different, but he was finally outside of his own body to appreciate it. Right. uh, It's just a really good moment and a great metaphor for, unfortunately, the very vicious cycle of what it means to be depressed, which is that every time you would reach a point like that, then you'll also go backwards. And I just, I, I think it's interesting that the only way to have broken that cycle with the final scene between John and the, the, the fizzle bomber, like this is entirely a, 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 a sci-fi parabola about a parable parabola. Uh, uh, holy a, calamity. Holy, damn it. Um, Scream insanity. All oh, you ever gonna be is another great fan of me. Break. Bear witness. Anyway, um, so the only way that to actually like break this, uh, break this cycle in this story about self love and self discovery, it, it it forces John to have to accept and love a part of himself that he does not, and he is incapable of doing that. Like that's all he had to do, and it's just. It really twists my mind. I was like, damn. Yeah. It basically puts like depression and self-loathing as the only way this, uh, this is the, time this, paradox can actually continue. This is the, the insurmountable like obstacle that spurs this entire cycle to continue, yeah. which is just self-loathing. Yeah. yeah. Um, what about you? Are you a fan of the final confrontation? Um, I mean, I feel like I'm a little hot and cold on it, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I feel like the the end part of it for me was kind of, I mean, the problem of it being a reveal was something that kind of like what you're saying, Nick, it's like was pretty much predetermined uh, uh, by myself after watching it. Because once you've seen probably the second and third reveal, it seems at least to me that they were all going to pretty much fall in line, um, which is fine because that's what the story needed to be uh however i feel like that final scene was just a little you know it it was exactly what it needed to be but for me in terms of watching the film i was just like okay yeah i mean i definitely think the upon first viewing it's a little too uh uh, I guess I wouldn't say mundane, but just like it goes to the exact place you think it will go to, and then it. And, but also, just saying that out loud further reinforces what this movie was only ever trying to do the whole mm-hmm. time. Um, I will say that two things that I think saved that final scene is a I love Ethan Hawke's performance as the guy, just the way he like keeps pounding the table and smiling and saying 
just some really like the the that bitch just, from the typewriter shot. She's yeah. got a birthmark on her hip. Disgusting <laughs> birthmark. She can't cook um, and she can't keep our secrets. Yeah, uh, which is I think like that whole thing. It, it's creepy enough where it works. And the other thing too is that thematically, John, I think it's just supposed to be that your perspective in the timeline at any given place has to match the barkeeps, so to speak, which I know he knows a little more than the audience because of the fact that he knows the first half or whatever. But in general, it doesn't work if you know it's him in the same way that it... Because I just think it mirrors the, the cerebral headspace of what the barkeep knows because... Like him, you're waiting until you get to that moment, which you know is coming, but you also don't. So that's why I think it also works on rewatch because it's predetermined and you already know it's there. But it doesn't bother me that like they go to such great lengths to like hide his face the whole time, only to reveal it. Because I think it's less of a grand reveal and yeah. more of a like, yeah, you're disappointed, aren't you? Be- like, did you really think it was going to be anything else? Which is also, I think, what John is technically experiencing, where he's also slightly. Just like he didn't realize that Occam's razor applies here, you know the simplest answer as far as a time traveler who somehow mysteriously appears in the same spot that he's always going to be, and yet mm-hmm. never got whatever. Like, so it's more just like a. I think it's supposed to be defeating in a way, maybe unintentionally. Like maybe that's not they thought it would be a grand reveal, but because for me, it's shot and edited so much differently than the reveal of. John entering the college Mm -hmm. where you are literally seeing the same scene from a different perspective as moments that were previously omitted are now being fragmented in. The final scene plays out like a straightforward scene. I mean, I know it's a reveal as far as it's the first time we see his face, but it is a static shot and reverse shot and between the two of them and the conversation. So I think that scene is less about the reveal and more about the final pawn that has to go down to set this cycle in motion. Yeah. I feel like, um, I, I haven't really ever felt this way about a character in a long time, but I've aroused. Oh, you know me. Um, I feel like, uh, there was a moment where, uh, the character of why am I totally blanking right now? Robertson. Robertson. Yeah. Uh, almost has a Joe Pantoliano moment from a Memento when he's when he's asking about did you find the fizzle bomb where I saw him oh did you, did you catch him did you apprehend him yeah like he knows the answer oh yeah yeah <laughs> and it's but it's, also it's his superior goading him which I know but, but I feel like fire. but yeah Joe Pantoliano in Memento is just Lenny yeah. <laughs> Just constantly knowing that he can just funk with him at any moment in time and just continuously yep. will do so. And that's pretty much what Robertson's doing. Okay, this is really random, mm-hmm. but I thought about it when we were watching it, uh, when he acquires the typewriter after he lands in 1975. Do you think he writes the initial uh, articles that then younger Jane finds and decides that she's going to then write. Oh, that's a head fuck. Um, no. Okay. No. I believe what he's typing at the end. I mean, I know we see like the unmarried, whatever. 
I think that that's the idea there is that he's going crazy. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of writes what I think is a manifesto. Okay. Like, yeah. we don't get to see the text of it, obviously. Yeah. But that's, no, no matter what the surface level text is, like, that's what the subtext is, is that essentially he's starting to go crazy and he's writing out a reasoning uh, as to why people deserve to die so that more people don't die type thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's more just a sign of his psychosis, kind of a shining like okay. moment. That's me. No. Hey, I'm, I think the the interesting part is that it's left basically, for the viewer's interpretation. Yeah, and you see the phrase, unmarried mother, and yeah. whatnot. Um, yeah. Which is also a great phrase, because it's not just the name of the column, but also... Yeah. yeah. Also, I love that she names her baby Jane, because, unfortunately, that just lets the paradox continue. Yep. Even though it's also in the moment when you don't know it, like, that seemed like a realistic, like, sweet thing, because she was about to lose it. You know, like, mm-hmm. anyway. yeah. what were you going to say? Uh, I was going to say... said, how about the... That's what you said. I was trying to, like, muscle memory your way back into it. Something about Robertson. Something about babies. Something about... No. Jane, John, Sarah Snook, Pool. John, Jacob, Jingleheimer. That's not helping. No, it's really not. Yeah, Um, I will come back around. It's fine. Yeah, we will. Same as it ever was. You guys want to go to Reigns? Yeah. Okay. Who wants to go first? Me? You You can go first. You go first. Okay. I'm a fan of this film. I think this is is a really well-done science fiction film. Although not without its flaws, which I think is a mark of a really good science fiction film because it's never going to be perfect, at least in my opinion. Um, And I I really actually enjoy the performances here. Uh, Ethan Hawke delivers another solid performance, as he usually does. Not ever for me great, but not ever bad, really. Um, And... Swimmy, Swami, Swinson, Swanson. Sarah Snook. Sarah Snook. Uh, she, uh, I thought, was definitely one of the best parts of the entire film. As she delivers a great performance throughout uh, in her the early years of her playing Jane, uh, but also in the, in the later years of her playing Jana. That was just a fantastic performance uh, from top to bottom, really. <laughs> I remember what I was going to say. Yeah. Oh, boy. How about the idea of... Well, we found that you had men parts, so we just went with those. Well, it wasn't that they went with those. To be fair, hysterectomies during complicated pregnancies mm-hmm. do occur. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So it was less like you have them. Well, so you are. It was really. I'm the, not saying it's it, not like a. It, it was really <laughs> the explanation that you're a man now. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was a very. Uh, Brutal scene as far as guy just like, takes a cigarette out and he's like, I gotta, yes, I gotta steal myself for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. this is gonna be so hard for me. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, there was just some about it that I was just. Yeah, like, they got no, married, no. still living their life. Just takes a drag off a cigarette. The Avengers went home. <laughs> I had to yeah. dig up my family. Oh god. Yeah. Well, so uh, that being said, front to back, top to bottom, I think this is a really solid film that I'm probably going to purchase at some point and, mm-hmm. and plan to rewatch pretty much find it in every bargain bin for five bucks nice yeah. Yeah. i'll watch I'll, it with your wife i want to know what her take on this is yeah i'd be interested this isn't necessarily her but i i could see her like multiple times being like what yeah 
what is this? Yeah. So I want to show this movie to everybody just because I want everybody to know that there is a movie that exists where somebody fucks themselves. Because a baby themselves. Yeah. Who is, in fact, themselves. themselves. Hey. So, uh, three and a half out of five for me. She uh, has her mother's eyes and her daddy's dick. Three and a half out of five for predestination for myself. Hey. You saw? Yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm still reeling from that line. Um, I'm gonna give this a four out of five again because I think that this is like what Alex was saying. It was like it's a really great sci-fi story. I can totally see myself returning to this and enjoying it and just playing it out and seeing if there's anything that just like pushes it over the edge to like a four and a half. Like I just, I'm I. I really like this film, and I feel like it has the potential to to grow in in that direction. So yeah, I get it. yeah, I'm right there with you, boys. I am a big fan of this movie. I am very happy that even though it took me three years to rewatch it, I just watched it twice in the span of like two weeks because that's how much I was finally able to reaffirm that this movie, for me at least, holds up and is actually a really good movie. I I love all the performances in this movie. Uh, I'm a big Ethan Hawke fan, and I think this is one of his best roles because it is so suitably Ethan Hawke, who is always a little hammy, um, and yet here it works because a lot of this is him pretending like he's not... It is a lot of it's him pretending, you know, like when he's the barkeep. and he, like I almost giggle every time now that I've seen it and know it uh, when... John says when I was a girl and he goes what and then you know he's like don't interrupt and he's like no I just I thought you said and it's like so kind of over the top and now that you know that technically he's acting and he's just trying to make sure that this story gets told in the manner that it was originally told when he told it um I don't know there's just something about his goofy performance that Hmm. just totally makes this whole thing work really just hamming it up Yeah. yeah and you know as a you know bartender, uh, yeah, it just totally works. Um, and of course, Sarah Snook is a standout here, and I'm very upset that she hasn't really been in much after this because she's fantastic and um, in all walks of this character. And I gotta say, this is one of those time travel paradox movies that just totally owns up to it, and I love that. And it's not afraid to not make sense, by which I means it mostly makes sense. Like it goes to great lengths to explain every in and out of this loop, but it knows that in doing that, it can never truly explain how the loop itself got started. Mm -hmm. And it has the confidence in what it was able to lay out to just speak for itself and hope that the audience won't get hung up on that aspect. And I love that because it's fucking time travel and if anybody wants to leave a time travel movie and think it makes a hundred percent sense uh they don't know what they're watching yeah then it that's just a fantasy so um i'm all here for it so i give it four out of five and i like it more every time i watch it and i'm also inching towards a four and a half because at the end of the day for how much i like it i also know that i wouldn't change a thing about it and at the end of like that's what a four and a half usually means for me like it is what it is and it's so good at what it does so even if it doesn't reach the heights of some kind of epic uh what it does is still an accomplishment in and of itself 
that I truly haven't seen another movie do. So uh, I'm a big fan. For right now, it's four out of five. But uh, So yeah. I'll ask you this question. Please. I know you are not as big of this fan of this film as you are the film I'm going to mention. Mm-hmm. But do you think this film does what it is trying to do as well as coherence? Um, okay, I'll say this. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, I think this movie is way more... Uh, this does it better than coherence does it, but coherence is a better... <laughs> is a better film for me mm-hmm. because of two reasons, which is that I prefer the character work in Coherence. The journey of that main character um, is just incredibly well done. And I'll admit that outside factors color my perception of Coherence in that knowing that that movie is improvised and it came out the way it did, yeah. it is that is literal magic. Like, <laughs> that... that should not happen. Yeah. And it did. And also, I also think that the improvised nature of coherence and what you might call a plot hole is technically built into the narrative right. of coherence yeah. because there's different possibilities. Mm-hmm. So, um, although basically, I think coherence is a better film for sure. But I would agree that if you're looking for something you want to watch and solve, this is the more, I wouldn't say the more, I don't know. I guess it's it's hard because this is way more of a better closed loop. Mm-hmm. So you might, it, it might seem like a more full meal after watching, uh, but Coherence is a better film in my opinion. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I guess I wasn't really aiming for better in terms of quality, in terms of better of what the film was trying to accomplish. Because obviously they're doing very much different things. I would say they're in the same ballpark. Okay. As far as I think mm-hmm. they both set out to do something insane, and they both achieve it by the exact opposite means. Mm-hmm. If uh, Predestination succeeded, it's because they made sure that the editing booth was never without a shooting script <laughs> and going through and seeing how to piece this together. And if I think Coherence of Seeds, which it did, it's because they made sure that the actors were so well-directed from above and not on the ground floor uh, that their story was organic enough to survive any turbulence that they threw at them, which only further strength the incredibly surreal and Byzantine uh, uh, Has that guy plot. directed anything since? No. Yeah, it's bullshit. Well, he's got something which whew, oh man, the plot for his next movie, which we're speaking about James Ward Burkett right now mm-hmm. uh, who directed Coherence, which if you liked Predestination, go watch Coherence. I'm yeah. sure we'll talk about it one day, but yeah. um, the plot for his next movie which is finally he did pick up a script mm-hmm. um or maybe he wrote it. I don't know, but it is. Um, <laughs> I don't know why this cracks me up, but I love it. It's completely different, so don't expect time travel, time okay. wimey, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But it is a plot in which, while a bunch of entertainment people, musicians, and whatnot are gathered together in a recording studio to to record. The oh god, what's the famous Christmas song? 
that everybody pitched Feliz in. Feliz Lavida? No. What? No, that all the artists got together. Not the We Are the World, but the uh, um, Do They Know It's Christmas Time, I think. Yeah. The, anyway. Uh, yeah. The Happy yeah. Christmas song? No. Do They Know It's Christmas? Happy Christmas. It was the, um, that's what I think it is. Okay. There's like, not a lot each... of famous Christmas songs. Well, no, there's a lot of famous Christmas songs. <laughs> this is one where artists can't, really? What was the last famous Christmas song that's come out? Like well, just one. because they're... Besides Feliz Navidad. Wait, what? <laughs> Why is Feliz Navidad your go-to reference Because here? that's the most prominent recent, like, Christmas song. What's more... Well, what... first of all, I'm not talking recent. I'm talking this is a period piece set back when Christmas music was still technically... Could Authentic? be churned out. And, okay, you know. yeah. The but... most the, the most prominent recent Christmas song is probably the Mariah Carey song. Yeah, which... as far as becoming a state. Which really? Is, which is what? <laughs> Oh, uh, I want for Christmas. If you listen to any Christmas station, you, never, you will not go first more First of all, you've never even heard of National Lampoon's Christmas, so you're <laughs> you're really not an expert authority on Christmas media. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just, just I've, I mean I've seen Home Alone, so... <laughs> Okay, once again, Home Alone what, is the Feliz what, Navidad of Christmas, movie. Christmas movies because, yes, everybody's heard it, or in that case, seen it, but that is not the end-all, be-all of Christmas. Yeah, but I've seen Home Alone too. Okay. What is this It's a Wonderful Life you speak of? I've seen that. But here's the thing. You're not allowed to, you're not allowed to just brush that away. At some point during the Sorry, 80s, man. people thought age should be eradicated and that got singers to get together once a year and record a song at one point it was we are the world whatever so one christmas that's when they all got together and i believe the song was do they know it's christmas time it mm. might have been another one but yeah. anyway but let's just say it's that song anyway on the night that that song is being recorded somebody gets murdered i guess and it's but a apparently mystery. The movie all takes place within the span of the song. Like, I don't know. It's, it sounds really weird and so specific and Christmas adjacent. So Is Bono going to be in the film? I hope so. Not like actual Bono. Like... Well, I, hey, he was in Across the Universe. Why can't he be in this? <sighs> if you out there have any thoughts on Predestination or uh, whatever that Christmas song is. When did this begin? When did it stop? It's really all your fault, Tucson. Uh, you can send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, where we are every once in a year. Uh, every once in film, a red moon. Every, at Film Tank Show. So our next episode, I know we teased this once already, but we're going to try again to do an episode on Howl's Moving Castle. That'll be coming up on episode 153. So from... Nick Cheney, Tucson Egan, myself, Alex Diekman. Thank you very much for listening to us here at Film Tank. We'll be catching up with you next time. <laughs>